drink and dance all night. Now let's talk of diapers and pacifiers and our pants are feeling tight. Bottle service with BKP. Bottle service with BKP. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bottle Service. It's me, your girl, Sarah Merrill Hall, and I have a very important specialty episode for you today. I know I have been looking forward to this conversation all season long, and I want to warn you off the jump, it is a sensitive topic. We are going to be talking about birth trauma today. So with me, I have an incredible guest, Tila Tomasetti. She is a registered provisional psychologist who specializes in birth trauma. She's actually pursuing her doctorate with a specialty in birth trauma, and she also runs the account the tea on birth trauma on Instagram, which is actually where I found her. So without further ado, Tila, welcome to the show. Hi, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being on. I really appreciate you being here. Um, I'd love if you could give the audience, maybe just off the jump, like a little background on you and why you wanted to focus your expertise on birth trauma. I feel like this is kind of an uncommon field. Yeah, definitely. So as you shared, I'm a registered provisional psychologist here in Alberta, Canada. And uh, before specializing in birth trauma, I've been doing trauma work as a therapist for almost two decades now. So I actually started off working as a sexual assault therapist, and then in domestic violence and tragic losses. And so this isn't kind of my first rodeo in terms of supporting people around trauma, but it's only been the last few years that I've been focusing on this specific area. And it came as a direct result of my own experience with birth trauma. And so my little one, Livy, actually turns to in just two weeks away, April 10th is her birthday. And um, so it's been almost two years since I experienced my own and the causes of that. And I won't go into too much detail about my own story today, because I know we have so much to talk about. Um, is midwifery violence and an excessive postpartum hemorrhage that almost took my life. So it required blood transfusions and almost a week in the hospital. And then I actually had a second hemorrhage six weeks later and ended up in the hospital again due to a retained placenta and needed a DNC surgery. And then it's just been a really long road. There was a cascade of long-term impacts that affected me. And it, it was a really rough first year for sure with the birth trauma. But I started the page about 12 weeks postpartum and just wanted in like a space for other women to talk about this because I knew I wasn't the only one. I had been contemplating due to my best friend's experience five years ago, specializing with my doctorate in this area. And, um, so that was kind of already on, like in the back of my mind. And then after going through this experience myself, I was like, we got to start talking about this more. We don't, we don't share enough. Uh, For sure. Um, so you actually, that's interesting. So you like, you knew about birth trauma before experiencing it yourself. Um, cause for me, I had never even, I had never even heard of it, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I I actually, I actually heard about it from one of your posts, which is crazy. Like I, I was like scrolling Instagram and I saw one of your posts and I read the term birth trauma and immediately it resonated with me. Like I just read that and I was like, oh my God, I instantly knew like 
like I I had it, you know, like even just seeing the title. And it was actually it was it was really strangely like comforting to know that there was a label for what I was experiencing. Um, But I just thought it was crazy that I had never even heard of it up until, you know, experiencing it myself. Like is birth trauma? Is this like a new term? Like how how common or uncommon is this? Yeah, I think it's like you're not alone in your experience. I would say every day, multiple times a day, I get messages like what you just described where uh, people going like, oh, my God, I've never heard of this before. This is me. I feel so seen right now. And so this term, I I would say, is relatively newer. But it's also it's like we were talking about before we hit record. It's been around forever, like as as long as we have been alive, you know, their humans have kind of walked the earth, birth trauma has existed. But I think I would say within the last like 10 years, but more so the last five years, we're actually starting to put a label on this, which really helps people to um, name their own experience and to further like explore what it is that took place for them. And so labels can sometimes be really effective for us in our healing. And it sounds like Sarah, for you, it was for you, like seeing that label was like, oh yeah, that's me. Yeah. For some reason, I think, you know, I was experiencing this, um, And I felt like I didn't have any control over it. And I feel like labeling something like almost gives you a little bit of control. I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. I can, I can, I know what this is now. I can research it. I can like learn about it. And for me, at least that like gave me a little bit of, of something um, to hold on to for, for what was a very disorienting experience. Like I, you know, I think we throw around the term trauma like loosely, you know, like I've, I've always been like, you know, I have like PTSD from taking the SATs in high school, like, but like <laughs> we don't actually have like PTSD, you know, like it was, it was a very new um, experience that I was going through that I know I had trouble, you know, explaining to mm-hmm. like even my husband, like what I was going through. Um, So for anybody who is like, you know, maybe unsure of what this is, uh, you know, maybe you're listening to this episode because maybe you think you experienced it. Maybe you know somebody who may, may be experiencing it. Can you tell us like a couple signs um, of birth trauma? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think we're still trying to really explore and expand the, the actual definition of it. But to me, it's anything that exceeds the nervous system's ability to cope whether that was before childbirth, during, or after. And so it's not just limited to that exact moment of like baby arriving in this world. It can take place afterwards, for example, with like NICU parents, uh, where baby had to have a stay there or even before, um, you know, with like different kinds of things that may have transpired, like preeclampsia. Like there's so many different causes that can happen. And so I just want to normalize for people listening that, there isn't a black and white definition right now. And I think that that's really helpful for us as survivors because it's a really subjective experience. And so we used to say back in the day, like uh, with trauma, it's like in the eye of the beholder. And what that means is that it's not a choice. You're not like choosing to decide that you have birth trauma. It's that your nervous system made that choice and decision for you. And so just something took place through that experience that like revved up 
the nervous system and then it couldn't cope afterwards and then you're left with all of these symptoms and so some of those symptoms look like flashbacks um, dissociation intrusive thoughts anxiety and depressive like symptoms you're going to see struggles with like bonding with baby with sex and intimacy and so if we think about ptsd and the definition around that it's it's literally the same thing uh, for birth trauma. And like, you'll see avoidance, right? Like, so avoiding things that really remind you of the childbirth experience and it just kind of ruminating in your head. So those are some of the symptoms that people might see. Yes, yes. Ruminating for sure. Um, it's so interesting. And like, when I think of trauma, like PTSD, I think of like, you know, people returning from war, you know, and like I think there's almost this this feeling of why like at least in my experience like mine was almost like a routine situation like I think my my doctor didn't even blink an eye after my c-section and that's like one of the weird things and what's kind of hard to grapple with like even in your experience like yeah like you almost died like that makes sense to me like I've had friends with worse birth experiences who don't have the same long-term residuals of birth trauma that I do? Like, why do you think some people experience this and others don't? Yeah, I think it's such a great question. And what I also appreciated that you were just touching on too was my own experience. You had said like, um, you were like, you almost died, right? And it's like, but that wasn't the worst part of my birth trauma. So like to an outsider looking in, they would go like, you needed blood transfusions and a week in the hospital and all those pieces. Um, and for me, it was the midwifery violence. It was the mistreatment by a provider that really actually impacted me. And that to me is a perfect example of how this is subjective. And so again, like when we say subjectivity, it's not a choice. I want, I really want to stress that to people because it can feel like blaming almost like, oh, you're telling me I'm choosing to have trauma. And it's like, no, again, your nervous system made that choice for you. But I I think that there's just, there's no really rhyme or reason around this. It's just that all of us have different nervous systems. All of us have also been through different experiences in life. And so how we are going to digest a situation in front of us, it's going to vary. Like you put in a room, which I, I work with every single day, a number of different birth trauma survivors, and they're all going to note different things. And so it's really just our, I think it's sometimes our gen genetic makeup and just like past experiences, what really matters to me within my childbirth experience would be different for what was really important for you. And yeah, so I don't know if that kind of helps to answer your question, but it's, it really just boils down to how unique all of us are. Yeah. I mean, that's what's so frustrating about all of this is um, it, it's not a choice. And like if I had the choice, I would never want to experience this. I would never want anybody to experience this. And it's it's just it's really tough. And um, and I kind of want to get into like what we can do about it, because I, I do feel like certain things happen and I'm like, oh, there's got to be some tools around this. And if mm -hmm. you don't know about it, you, you, you don't know what to do. Like, mm -hmm. I know you're, we were just talking about symptoms not too long ago and um, you mentioned flashbacks. Like for me, that has been the biggest tell for me uh, that something was like really off is mm -hmm. that I was having these like daily and nightly flashbacks. Like, and when I say flashbacks, it's not like 
reliving a memory of something like it's almost like I would be reliving it as if it was happening again like my you keep saying the nervous system like I would feel my whole nervous system acting up like it did when it happened you know my heart rate would quicken um you know I would I would really start to panic um and feel like these feelings of dread like that's what's one of the craziest things is like I I think about my my c-section experience and it was it was like the worst moment of my life um and, it, and that's what's horrible is I don't feel like I lived it one time. I feel like I've lived it hundreds of times because yeah. of these daily and nightly flashbacks. And even like I would even, you know, even get triggered. Like I, I want to talk about like triggering too because that was really crazy for me. Like I would be in like the, the supermarket and I would walk. This was like one of the weirdest things. Like I remember walking under the like, fluorescent lights of the supermarket mm-hmm. and I would be, I was triggered back to, you know, being wheeled out of the OR without my baby, um, under the fluorescent lights at the OR. And like uh, instantly I was back in it, like back in the exact same emotional state that I was when it was happening to me. And it's crazy. Like I I was like, for a period of time, I was really nervous. I was like, am I going to have to live the rest of my life going through this, like going through this pain and trauma on a daily and nightly basis? Like, yeah, I guess my first question, I know there's a lot here, but like, <laughs> what do we, what, what are some suggestions? Like if you feel yourself going back into that state, into that nervous system reaction, like, is there anything we can do yeah. to help ourselves pull out of it? Yes, definitely. And yeah, flashbacks are really scary. And Sarah, you did a brilliant job of describing it because we have this idea from the movies that it's like a complete reliving of every single aspect of the scene. And it's like, no, sometimes it's even just a bodily sensation is a flashback. Um, So yeah, thank you for providing your own example for that. But with flashbacks, it's a lot of grounding exercises. And so a simple one to give people that are listening is five, four, three, two, one. Okay. So right when you start to feel the experience that this is happening, you want to look around your environment and start to ground yourself. So name five things that you can see. Okay. Four things that you can touch. So go ahead and like touch, physically touch those things because it's immediately going to bring those bodily sensations that are happening because that nervous system is being reactivated. It's going to bring you back to the present moment. Then three things that you can hear, two things that you can smell, and then one thing that you can taste. And sometimes it's just the taste in our mouth, depending on where we are, if we can take a sip of water, things like that, or a sip of coffee. And so that is a very simple and quick exercise that could take you like a minute to do and pull you right back out of that flashback. You know, there's other tools to to like physical grounding. So it's just like, you know, I was saying to touch things, but it's literally like planting your feet on the floor, noticing what it feels like, like the seat under Underneath you, trying to describe that to yourself, even grabbing a part of the fabric of your shirt and being like, okay, is this like soft or rough or like, how is my skin? Is it warm? Is it cold? Um, is it clammy? And so when you touch yourself like that and notice the things in your environment, you're taking yourself out of the loop that flashbacks kind of create within our brain and it reroutes your brain and distracts it from that memory and from that experience and gives you something else to think about. So distraction is key truly when we're going through a flashback. Okay. That's, that's like really, I think a really, really good tool. One of the things I was wondering about, um, I feel like, uh, when I was going through all of these flashbacks, I was like, I wonder if this is my brain's way of trying to process something that like, Mm -hmm. doesn't make sense. And 
is there any benefit to to these flashbacks where like your your brain is processing or is it just like we're torturing ourselves <laughs> I think <laughs> both sometimes like it definitely feels like torture when we're going through that experience I do think it is our system trying to make sense of it all you know there's three parts of the brain I don't know if we want to get a little nerdy on this show I am a doctoral student right yeah actually about to embark on my research in May um, on birth trauma and so like but there's there's three different parts to our brain and I'm going to kind of like really make this simplified because when we start to talk science it can get really confusing and overwhelming and even for me as a student so there's the prefrontal cortex okay takes a hit during trauma and and that is like the smartest part of our brain. And so that's like we're reasoning and problem solving and rational thinking comes into play. So that's a big part of flashbacks is that because that part of our brain has gone offline, essentially, after trauma, we're not able to really recognize that we're no longer in that experience. And so it feels very real to us. Then there's the hippocampus, okay? So the hippocampus is actually about memory. And so this is why like things loop over and over for us. And that part also shrinks too in size. And so we can't like really retain things. Like people joke all the time, like, oh, mom brain. And when I see a birth trauma survivor, I'm like, no, that's your birth trauma brain. Like you cannot remember things. You can't really articulate because of those two parts of your brain have essentially like shut down and shrunk. And then the last is the amygdala. And this plays actually like a huge part in flashbacks. And so our amygdala is like our natural alarm system and it regulates our emotions. And so while the other two are shrinking, this one is increasing in size and it actually is like stuck on on. And so so it constantly thinks we're like in danger, that we need to be on edge. And so you'll see kind of like, yeah, you'll see people who have experienced birth trauma not really being able to relax and kind of settle into their skin and their environment. It's because the amygdala is keeping them on that like alarm system mode. Oh my gosh, I totally feel that. And I actually, I I, I love how you're like, do you mind getting nerdy on this show? I actually <laughs> do. I, I like knowing like what's physically happening in our brains because like I, I kept I kept saying that to my husband Brandon. I'm like, I feel like I have a brain injury. Like I literally like I, I really feel like something is hap something switched in my brain and I like cannot turn this off. Um aside from like flashbacks that come on, you know, r randomly, I don't know if anybody else um has experienced this, but like I I knew every time I would start getting ready for bed, I would almost get this pit in my stomach because I knew um, like clockwork before I went to bed, I was going to, I was going to have a flashback. Like it, it, it was happening every single night. And I almost feel to a certain extent that it became, it just kind of became a pattern. Like it became a routine. Can we break those patterns? Like if we're having these like on a consistent basis, like how do we break the, the routine of it? Cause then I feel like my body was just naturally getting ready to have, um, a, a, this like panic over me every single night like I was like there has to be a way to to stop this absolutely yeah I think it's incredible that you were able to identify that a pattern was starting to form and so I think the first kind of key for people is to consider and create awareness around if there is a pattern going on with these flashbacks and if you're able to identify it that's the biggest part and so the second would be creating a plan around it so if it's 
coming at around a particular time of day or night for you, then get ahead of that. If you know it's coming, then, you know, create like connect with a support system during that time distract yourself with something like tv get up and move your body so one of the when we go back to like kind of the brain stuff and and what happens within our in our bodies it does that fight flight freeze or fawn and that's actually what my uh, doctoral project is going to focus on is the fawning that a lot of birth trauma survivors do and so what happens when we go through a flashback or start to dissociate even, because those are two different things, but they actually often go hand in hand, is that that freeze system kicks in. And so if we know that's going to come, you want to get up and move your body. So just something as simple as walking, just walk around your home, go for a walk outside. Um, and again, like that's going to help to process that like buildup that's about to take place where the flashback is going to hit again. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my favorite clean skincare lines made by moms, for moms, and moms-to-be. You already know I'm talking about Nima. If you don't know, Nima is a sustainable luxury skincare collection formulated specifically for mamas and their families. Founded by Mary Lawless Lee, Nima is inspired by the love of her children and the desire to offer moms pregnancy-safe products that feel luxurious and as effective as their other skincare products. Nima combines luxury ingredients with science and all of their products, including the stretch mark cream, nipple and lip balm, and scar treatment, hi, where my fellow C-section girlies at, are all dermatologist approved, hypoallergenic, and vegan. And not to mention, they just feel so good on your skin. They have just launched a brand new product, the Stretchmark Therapy Nourishing Body Oil, and it's not just for pregnancy, but for all women. This formula includes jojoba oil, coconut oil, and hemisqualine, I hope I'm saying that right, which targets dry skin, eases tension, and provides deep moisture. It's the perfect self-care purchase. So pick up something nice for yourself or for a fellow mom or a mom-to-be at nema.com. That's N-E-M-A-H.com and use code BIGKID for 15% off. Again, that is nema.com and use code BIGKID for 15% off. I know we've been talking about like what's going on in our brains, but like, are there any like physical things that are happening inside of our bodies? Like I, I, I've had such a hard time explaining this, but like I've, I've felt like a very big disconnection from my body ever since this happened. And it's like very hard to articulate. I don't know if there's been any research about what's going on in our bodies too when you experience trauma. Yeah, because it's like, I guess our our brain technically, like um, it's connected to the central nervous system that like still exists like within the rest of us. And so um, the somatic end of things, which is what you're talking about, comes up so often. It's, It's one of the saddest parts of working with birth trauma survivors is that not only do they feel disconnected from their bodies because what took place, but they also hate their bodies often. Like you'll hear them say statements like, my body failed me. Like this was the one thing I was supposed to be able to do as a woman and I couldn't get it right. And so I think a lot of that that is psychological. Um, and And also like when we go through a traumatic experience, trauma gets stuck in our body. It does until we find a way to heal and process it. And um, so I think that's what you're talking about, Sarah, is that like there's parts of your trauma you haven't worked through. And so you might see that show up as like 
headaches or neck tension or like your stomach kind of flipping around or unsettled or like a bloated feeling or like it's amazing how trauma manifests physically and so you you got to do something about it you got to go to therapy um is a big part yes i'm a little biased because that's what i do for a living but there's specific kinds of therapies that are also like somatically based that will talk to that part of your body and be able to like resolve it yes i did want to talk about that here like for anybody who's experiencing birth trauma like i think therapy is a great tool like what are some what are some things we can do and maybe it's talking about some of these therapies that are available but to help heal because i think that's like one of the things I want to get across is like, this is something you don't have to live with, or maybe it is. I don't know. Let me ask you the question. Um, is this something that you're kind of going to live with for life or are there things that we can do to, to heal from this? Yeah. I'm so glad that you're asking that because I've been on so many podcasts and sometimes people will forget to to include this part of it. And it's, it's so key. Like I want people to know that, you know, as a trauma, as a birth trauma survivor myself and somebody who works full-time in this area, doing the research, it is a hundred percent possible to heal. Um, is it linear? No, trauma healing never is. It's super messy. There's no rhyme or reason to this. Everybody's experience around that is going to be longer or shorter or like, you know, you'll see some people who can resolve this in a few months. You'll see others where it takes a few years. And so don't give up if that is you and you're a couple of years into this and you're like, things are just never going to get better. They are. It just may take you more time than, you know, the person sitting next to you. And that's for a variety of different reasons that you may never have the answer to. But for me, one of the biggest tools that I have in my toolkit is that I am an EMDR clinician. And so EMDR is eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. And so that's why we just call it EMDR because that is one mouthful. <laughs> like, yeah. um, and essentially, like EMDR was created to specifically work with trauma. And what it helps people to do is to pull forward the long-term memory because essentially what's happened with trauma trauma is that it gets stuck in our, our long-term memory and then it causes all of these trauma symptoms and issues within our life and these long-term impacts. And so EMDR essentially pulls that memory forward to the working part of our memory. And so we actively think about and process it while we're doing something called bilateral stimulation. And that can come in a few different forms. So like the most, um, I guess, kind of the OG way of doing it is literally eye movement. So these eye, these finger sweeps across the client's eyes and they would track back and forth and that's bilateral simulation. And so you're activating like the right and the left hemisphere, okay, while you're processing this memory and it just helps you to do it really quickly and efficiently. And you'll see like the body. So going back to the body, when I'm doing this in session with clients, like release it so quickly, like the body wants to let these things go. And so does the mind. And so that's kind of like the OG way of doing it. How you'll see it now with most EMDR clinicians is with something called tappers. So I don't know if you're going to end up showing, I just want you to see them too, Sarah, in case you're not familiar with them. But it's just if you end up showing this later, like just clips from this, is that these are what tappers look like. And so they look, <laughs> the system is very weird. For those of you who can't see this, it's like this little box that the, the therapist controls and it, it controls like the intensity of the vibration, um, like uh, also the speed of it, the length of it. 
And then you hold on one in each hand and then you process the memory. And there's obviously way more to this. There's things that I ask as a therapist and ways to kind of dig deep and get certain things to surface, but it goes right, left, right, left. So that vibration in your hand, that bilateral stimulation. So this is the most common thing that you're going to see in an EMDR clinician's office. And then there's even headphones. So you can wear headphones and there's like a beeping sound, beep, beep, beep in the right, left, right, left. And it's highly effective. So there's a ton of research on EMDR. It sounds ridiculous and hokey. <laughs> and I always say to my clients, I'm like, okay, this is really weird and it works. And that's what everybody says. And then you do it. And it's been so cool to listen to client after client say like, this just changed my life. And one of the benefits of doing it this way, Sarah, than other traditional kinds of therapy is that this is fast. So I'm all about like, I've been doing this for a long time. I'm all about getting my clients in and out of this. I don't want you sitting in your trauma for years. I'm not here looking to make money off of your trauma. I want you to heal as quick as possible. And so do you, so you can get back to your life. And so EMDR is really fast and effective. Uh, so something I mean that could take you a year could take you like a few sessions. Like, yeah. I mean, how comforting is that to hear? Um, you know where I saw one of those actually for anybody who is a Bravo aficionado, like I am like Dorit Kemsley, I think they showed her on Bravo doing that EMDR, holding those two things that you were just showing. Um, I don't know if you're into Bravo, but for anybody else, I, that maybe that'll help give you the the visual. But that is so comforting to hear that um, that it can work quickly because that's one of the first things I noticed is um, I got connected, uh, luckily, with this uh, with a therapist. I actually I, I do I like to do a lot of like crazy wonky shit. And I got connected with this um, this woman who specializes in birth trauma and she does like Reiki and like hypnotherapy, um, which I've done some sessions with her and it has been really, really helpful. And I mean, it's, it's a painful process. I think like reliving trauma and having to go through the memories and talk about it and be really open to talk about it is, is hard. I'd say it's like probably some of the hardest work I've ever done. And I feel better immediately. I feel like there is like a release. Um, but I can just tell, I'm like, oh my God, like this is, it's helping, but it's going to be such a long, slow process. Mm -hmm. And that's like, it's so frustrating. Cause I'm like, oh my God, I just want to like move on with my life and like enjoy my baby and like mm -hmm. all of this stuff. Like I, it, it can be frustrating. So I'm, I'm really happy to hear that EMD, EMDR. You got it. <laughs> okay. EMDR therapy is is something um, worth looking into. Yeah. And it's not magic. It's not a cure, but honestly, like one of the first things that people say to me after just like a first session with this, they're like, are you a witch? And I'm like, <laughs> it's just EMDR. It's just really weird and it works. And there's, again, like there's so much science and research to back it up. So if you have the opportunity and you're looking for like not wanting to be in therapy over the next year, look for for an EMDR clinician. And we go through extensive, really long, expensive training. And I've got advanced EMDR too, where you can do a recent events protocol, which is like, say if your birth trauma just happened within these last few months, this is like a titrated version of the original EMDR that helps you to process it even faster. I have heard that. I'm really glad that you brought that up. Like the quicker that you can, um, 
notice that you're suffering with this and start to treat it the faster that you can heal from it. Because yeah. I, I knew pretty much right away. I'm like, I'm going to need some therapy. Like, I think I came out of birth. Like, we got into our hospital room, like our overnight hospital room. And I looked at my husband. I'm like, I'm going to need some expensive ass therapy <laughs> after this. Um, so if you recognize this early on, I think that's a good thing to hear. Like, catch it, yeah. treat it. You don't need to live this way. No. One of my dreams is to have this in hospitals. And uh, an EMDR clinician on staff so that if people like yourself are able to identify it, um, then imagine sitting just for one hour with somebody like that after birth could solve all of these trauma symptoms because then they don't have time to consolidate and turn into like PTSD and birth trauma. Oh, yeah. I love that. I love that you're working on towards that. <laughs> that makes yeah. me very happy. <laughs> um, I want to talk for a moment about our partners, because this is something I mentioned it kind of earlier, like, um, Brandon and I, like we had trouble through this because I was experiencing something that I like, we went through our, we've been together almost 10 years. We've been through so much together. And like, he's been there through a lot of shit. All of a sudden I'm going through something that like, I don't know how to explain to him. He doesn't know how to help support me through. Um, I mean, he, he was doing his best and like some of the things I think he was trying were like, making it worse like you know telling me like be grateful you have a healthy baby you know like just be you should be grateful for you know you walked out of that surgery a couple of days later like you were fine you know like stuff like that that just made me feel like worse and worse I was going to ask you if there's anything that you would tell our partners um that can maybe help us and maybe some things not to do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, don't do what she just described. <laughs> so truly, which is um, gratitude is weaponized in motherhood to begin with. It really is. And we see it even more so with birth trauma survivors, where it's like, you should only feel gratitude for this experience that you've been through. And it's like, no, I can be grateful my baby's here and love them so much and hate the day that I was born or like the day they were born, like that birth experience. And also like hate the trauma symptoms that I'm trying to navigate. And so please don't use gratitude. Please don't use toxic positivity statements. I go after that a lot on my page because it's something that followers really want to talk about because they've dealt with it so often. So the, the easiest way to kind of summarize a toxic positivity statement is with the word at least right? Well, mm. at least the baby's healthy now. At least you're okay. At least you're home. At least you could have a baby. At least, you know, it, it, it's endless. And so just like if we could scrap that word from motherhood in general, it would stop minimizing people's experiences. But, you know, to go back to your question about what partners can do is that I'll never forget this one follower reaching out to me who was a partner. And he said to me, you know, what can I do to help? I really want to help my partner. I know she's gone through this experience. I have found your page and I just don't know what to do. And I was so impressed by it because, you know, that he had the ability to see that she was struggling, but also was trying to figure out how to best support her. And so because of him, I actually created a post that speaks to exactly this. And so one of the first things that you can do as a partner is to let her sleep as much as possible. Okay, so especially right after the birth trauma has taken place, because the sleep, again, is one of the best things to do for trauma. It helps, again, like going back to like even EMDR, they say is connected to REM, to that sleep, that rapid eye movement that takes place. That's why we do the eye movements there. 
And so sleep will actually help people to process it quicker. And again, hopefully even resolve some of that trauma so that it's not as intense. So that's like step number one, like let, let her sleep as much as possible. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm, I, you guys can't see my face, but like my jaw is <laughs> on the floor because I have, this is something like Brandon has done for me. Like he, and I've, I've mentioned it on the show before, like, um, he took morning feedings. So like I was able to get like a, a good chunk of sleep in the mornings. And, and I've told him this before. I'm like, I don't think you understand. Like, this is the best thing you've ever done for me. And I, I didn't know that it was connected to the birth trauma, but I feel like I would be in such a worse place. Like I'm actually like, I'm, I've, I've managed to like be okay. Like all things considered on the outside world, I'm like functioning like pretty well. Um, yeah. and I, I've thought that to myself, like, I feel like I would be in such a worse place if I wasn't getting good sleep. And I, I, I'm so glad that you mentioned that. Yeah. And I have like a love hate relationship with it because we'll hear all the time like from people like the importance of sleep for mental health but then the people around them have to help with that like stop you know putting the onus on the mom to figure out how to make make this work and the partners need to do that family members friends like this is where we step in and we help people um other I want to I want to um real quick because I hope some I I can only imagine some people listening to this are probably like getting so upset because they're like yeah I would love to sleep but I have a newborn baby that I'm like breastfeeding that I have to you know like feed every three hours like what can you do like is there anything you can any suggestions you would have for um women who are breastfeeding who like Mm -hmm. maybe aren't able to get a good chunk of sleep like that yeah, I think uh, it goes, see, in this statement kind of drives me crazy too. It's around that like sleep when baby sleeps, right? So, but in order to do that, and this is what I argue, we need to create a sense of safety for mom. And so a lot of birth trauma survivors will say like, well, I'd like to sleep, but I kind of can't because I'm having a flashback or I'm scared of nightmares. Like I remember, honestly, Sarah, that first week in the hospital, I didn't sleep at all. I didn't eat. I didn't sleep because of what had happened and I know it was one of the most damaging things that actually took place to me after the trauma and really like supported those symptoms and like solidifying inside of me and so I just wish that in that moment whether it was a nurse kind of watching this unfold or my partner would have like you know partner climbing into bed with me to hold me so that I feel safe enough to fall asleep or you know relaxing music or just music that works for you or like your favorite blanket or sweater or just like things that really bring you a sense of peace and comfort you need to include those things when you're trying to sleep because some of those you know your listeners might be read this might be res resonating with you where it's like, yeah, like I, I want to be able to sleep, but my anxiety is so sky high from everything that took place. Like, how do I relax? And so it becomes about channeling some of those coping strategies and you got to ask for help. And it's, it's yeah. one of the hardest things for all of us to do as moms. For sure. For sure. But that's like, we we're kind of saying like something where your partner can really come in yeah. and, and save the day, like yes. legitimately save the day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so to the partners, you know, ask her how she's really doing. So we have, you know, this thing in our society where we're like, how are you doing? And somebody goes, good. And we carry on. And I really want to invite the people in birth trauma survivors lives to say, no, no, like, how are you really doing right now? And so our partners need to say that to us. They need to slow us down. And because when we hear a statement like that, we're going to go, oh, okay, he actually cares. Like he wants to listen 
to what I have to say. And then you got to actively listen to your partner. So as they sit there describing their difficult times or their trauma symptoms, resist the urge from grabbing your phone or kind of zoning out, like give her eye contact, really let her know that, that you're listening to her and resist the urge to minimize. And that kind of goes back to what you were saying, Sarah, with some of the toxic positivity statements of like gratitude or things like that, or, oh, it wasn't that bad, or, oh, it could have been worse. Like, no, like th there's so much power in looking at someone and saying like, that sounds horrible. Mm -hmm. I'm so scared yeah. went through. That sounds so scary. Like I, I would imagine you were so scared. Like just a tiny statement like that um, can do wonders for somebody's healing even. So those are like kind of some of the tips that I would have for partners. Yeah. I think that's great. And also like the positivity statements, like I feel like we got to stop doing it to ourselves. Yeah. Like that was something I worked through um, with this therapist that I've been working with is, you know, I would start to feel, you know, like we were talking about earlier, like hatred towards my body or like having some really terrible thoughts. And immediately I would, you know, chip in be like, stop feeling this way. Like you should be grateful and, and chipping in at myself with these positivity statements. And one thing that she told me that was really helpful is she's like, you are trying to control your emotions and you're like, you're fighting it so hard that like, no wonder you're exhausted and your body is like depleted. Like you, you need to feel your feelings. Like you really, like if you, it, that's like, that's been something that's been helpful, helpful for me is when I start to, you know, have some of these thoughts, like actually let myself process them, let myself feel them, let myself cry. Like I've had to really just, you know, I've been, I mentioned like out at the supermarket or I've been in a yoga class where I'm moving my body. I've since heard that like, you know, yoga can really, while you're moving your body around can like uh, really have some stuff come up. Like I've literally like left yoga classes in tears, yeah. um, not understanding what's going on. But like, I, I felt that that was helpful. Like you have to kind of let yourself experience this. You can't just like fight it or choke yourself with these positivity statements no and like we need to stop labeling feelings too of like because we get into this idea of like there are good feelings and bad feelings and it's like so then we ignore the bad feelings and those are actually the ones that truly need to be heard in order for us to feel better and so like that's one of the tools that i teach my clients is like there's there's no good or bad here like and that all of them are allowed to show up we all have really important things to say and we don't have to pick and choose which ones are valuable and so when we create more space for our feelings they will shrink and so often people think it's the opposite it's like if I stuff it away it'll go away it's like no listen to it give it space and watch you'll see it disappear um, mm. but it's very tricky to, to do that it is it's like something you have to be conscious about um, but also I think very, very helpful. Um, I, this is kind of a random question, but something that has like kept me up at night, uh, <laughs> you know, obviously like we go through this birth trauma and we're feeling a certain way. Do you think, like, I think of in my situation, you know, my, my baby was taken out of me and wasn't given to me for two hours. So he was like, he, I never got to hold him. He was taken out of the room crying before I could touch him. And I've always wondered like, will is that going to affect him in the long run like is there any research like about like how birth trauma can also affect the baby you know uh you're asking such good questions sarah and it just it really makes me happy it does because it comes up these kinds of questions come up so much in therapy sessions because i work with a lot of moms who have gone through c-sections you know that's it's c-section awareness a month month in 
April and a stat I threw out last year blew up on my page because it says like 73% of cesarean births, like that woman will end up with trauma. 73%. And it's so minimized, right? It's just like people think it's no big deal. Some will even go as far as to ignorantly say it's the easy way out when it's not. It's seven layers, you know, and I say this as a vaginal birth, right? Um, because I sit there across from C-section survivors every single day and they are often tormented by the trauma that they endured as like going through this experience, whether it was planned or an emergency C-section. And so like when, when, Okay, so to go back to your question, what I often see is survivors so fearful of the impact it's going to have on their kiddo. So whether it was an emergency C-section or a NICU stay, where again, baby was taken away, baby spent, you know, hours, days, weeks in the hospital, is that they're like, what is this going to do to that child? Like, are they not, are they going to think I don't love them? Or is our bond not going to be as strong? Will they end up with trauma symptoms? And I really need your listener to hear me when I say no. Okay. That those that first of all, if we're going to get nerdy again, is that like, we don't have the ability as human beings to even create memories and hold on to them until like the age of like three or four. Okay. So like all of these first few years that we kind of obsess over as parents with our kiddos, we're, we're like, oh, we're scarring them, we're traumatizing them, we're doing this. No, it's like scientifically, like we're not doing those things in these moments where we don't get to breastfeed right away or get to hold our baby. That is not going to impact them in the long term. Whereas like if we don't get these trauma symptoms under control and it further impacts your bond with them and say for the first couple of years you are you know neglecting baby or not bonding with them or like yeah loving them in the way that maybe you possibly could then yes you might see long-term impacts on the child um in cases like that but right out of the gates those first few hours those first few months no um so like there's probably research that maybe is out there that could speak to something otherwise but I'm going to tell you as somebody who's been doing this work for almost two decades now is that I've never sat across from somebody and all I do is trauma work who has said like my I was a NICU baby and mm -hmm. I traumatized my whole life from this or like I know that my mom struggled with bonding with me those first couple of months and now I'm traumatized from this like we just don't have the ability to hold on to the stuff as babies and so no your little ones <sighs> be fine Sarah and like I mean what a relief what a yeah, relief to hear because these yeah. are the things is that like we are the ones who are left with these wounds to kind of resolve but our little ones are resilient kids are incredible um and yeah your babies are going to be okay now you just gotta work on yourself yeah I love 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 to hear that and that's like something I've, I've been like conscious of and like looking at my son like looking at Bodhi like looking for any like clues as to if he feels a certain way and he's like the happiest like content little guy ever like squishy so happy <laughs> giggly I'm like he seems fine like I need yeah. to like you know lay off myself because the feeling like I think like, there's real feelings of guilt mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. when something like this happens that and like the idea that it could affect your like sweet innocent like perfect child is yeah debilitating so I love to hear that thank you yeah. um 
I, I feel like I could keep you here all day. I have so many questions, <laughs> but I want to like get through a couple of these. I think they're important. Um, this is something you mentioned earlier and I wanted to circle back to. Um, and I feel the same way is, is that like, or sorry, let me rephrase this. Um, this is something I've seen on your page and um, something I definitely wanted to bring up in this interview because I feel this way is I feel like my my situation was preventable. Like I feel like there were some decisions made in that OR, not by me, that made me have this a trauma um, that I wish weren't made. And, and at the end of the day, I'm like, I think that things could have gone differently. I think that this is preventable. Um is there any, like, how do you, like, is, is this birth trauma preventable? And is there anything we can do to help, you know, future mothers avoid experiencing this? Okay. So I just did a post yesterday that speaks to this. And it's one of my favorite research articles that I've ever seen during my doctoral search and um, researching that I've done is that 66% of birth trauma survivors state that at the root of their birth trauma was the treatment or mistreatment by providers. And so to me, there's the prevention. There's the 66% of birth trauma that we actually have something to do. And so it gives me hope. It really upsets me um, because again, the biggest part Part of my own birth trauma was the midwifery violence and the abuse and neglect and like just literal violence that I went through with her. And there's currently like an investigation going on with her. I did a reporting process. And so I'm in the midst of that. And um, that was all preventable. And to me, it really boils down to um, the bare minimum with providers. And I really appreciate when people want to talk about it from this lens, because what I hear often is like, what can women do to prevent this? Like what can mothers and birthers do? And it's just like, why are we putting all the onus on them? <laughs> Especially when we know statistics like this, like it reminds me of the sexual assault community where back in the day, we used to say, well, just like dress, dress, you know, more ladylike and carry pepper spray and, you know, hold your keys in your hand. And it's, it reminds me of that sometimes. And so, yes, there's things we can do ourselves as survivors, but to me, it's about um, the providers doing the bare minimum. So respecting the person in front of you, consent, 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 like informed consent is an ongoing process. And we forget in these dynamics that this is our body this is our experience. And yes, we have a doctor who is a position of authority in front of us, but we are actually the one who should be allowed to make all of these decisions about what's going to take place. And so what we see often in the, in the birth trauma world is that consent wasn't even spoken about where it's just like, no, things were done to my body without somebody explaining to me like why this was happening, why it was important, other options that were available. And then again, and just because we offer consent once doesn't mean that we can't revisit it down the down the road. And um, so it's an ongoing process. And so but just like simple things like just being warm towards somebody, eye contact, having compassion for the fact that what they just did was the most incredible act in the world. Um, and so all of these things are steps that providers can take. Um, you know, asking somebody, are you okay? Was that difficult for you? What do you need? Like, these are very simple statements um, that could prevent birth trauma from existing. You know, that's 66%. And then, you know, and this is a whole other conversation. There's the pieces around 
the parts that aren't preventable, but this is, you know, the yeah. in that space and how they treat other people is, is prevention. Yeah. I, I think of it like, um, I gave birth in, in a, in Nashville at this hospital. That's no, they call it the baby factory. Cause there's so many babies being born here. It's like a huge, uh, maternal wing and there's like hundreds of babies born like weekly, you know, in this hospital. And I, I think like, you know, I think maybe my nurses and doctors, they kind of become numb to the idea that this is my, this was my first time walking into the situation. I have no idea what's going on. And I feel like they're just so used to, um, delivering babies and doing C-sections every single day that like there wasn't a lot of like care and, and, and forethought into, um, the idea that like, I actually didn't know what the hell was going on and I was terrified. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I like the idea of knowing that having more focus around this topic and, and, letting providers know like actually this can have like really, really longstanding um, effects on, you know, the patient uh, is, is good to know. I've even thought about like writing my hospital a letter and being like, this is, this is how it happened. And like, this is the long-term effects that I've suffered with. Like, I just, I don't, I'm not pursuing anything. I just want you guys to know because in the future I feel like th- this could be prevented. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, okay. I like, I like hearing that there's, you know, maybe <laughs> yeah. some things we can do about that. Yeah. And that's what I'm, I'm very passionate about that. So outside of the work that I do every day with therapy, that's what I'm doing behind the scenes. And so I'm working with providers and doing webinars and presentations at various hospitals and things like that, trying to get them to see their role within all of this and how things can really change. Yeah. I love that. Um, okay. I'm looking at the time. I know we're, I need to start wrapping things mm-hmm. up. Um, but this is just like one last question. Cause this is something I've thought about, you know, I'm, my baby's about to turn a year. Um, and the idea of like, we want to have more kids. Like we want to definitely have at least one more. Um, and the idea of like, I don't know how I'm going to give birth again. Or like I, I had a C-section that the odds are that I'm going to have to do a C-section again. And for anybody who, maybe has some birth trauma who wants to, you know, have more kids? Like, is there anything we can do to help prepare to give birth again? Mm-hmm. Um, no surprise that I'm going to start off saying this way. It would be therapy. And so working with a trauma-informed therapist that understands the perinatal world and birth trauma. So you need to have those two pieces because you need the right person across from you really guiding you through that experience. And so um, that is step number one is finding the right provider to help you through this. And then it's really sorting through like, what are your fears around that? What are your worries? And helping to create a plan to deal with each of those things. Like obviously not everything can we have a plan for. Sometimes things are in emergency situations. And but better preparing us for them and and giving space to the fears and talking about them has got to be key here. And so it's not about rushing yourself or doing it when you're not ready or like following the expectations of pre- and pressures of sometimes our partners or society saying like, when is that second baby coming? Um, I talk about that a lot on my page too, because I'm a one and done mom. And um, so are a lot of birth trauma survivors too. And so I think it's just um, giving yourself the space and time to heal before you move forward. Because sometimes we see people who want to do it because they want like for lack of a better term like a redo like a do-over where it's just like I want a better experience and I know I can 
habit. Maybe this will help me to heal. And I think we, that can be really tricky if we come at it from that angle, because it may not take place. And then we're going to be filled with all this guilt and shame and self-blame all over again. And so, yeah, really ask yourself, why do I want to move forward? Is this the right, the right time in my life? Talking to your partner about it, going to therapy, um, really gaining a sense of safety within that. Going back to EMDR, there's something called the future protocol. So I talked about the recent events protocol. There's um, part of like the full EMDR process is that at the very end, you can process something that hasn't even happened in the future. And so what I'm often seeing in my space is um, helping moms like yourself who are considering a second one and want to get to a place of safety around that. And so it's possible. I want to tell you and I want to tell the people listening that I've helped so many survivors go on to not only have a second baby, but for them to have an experience that felt empowering, that felt healing for some of them. It's not always going to heal you, right? But that was just such a better and different experience. So it's possible. It's possible Ugh. to do this and yeah, to just feel so different. Okay. I love to hear that. Cause I, I mean, I know in my heart of hearts right now, like I am just not ready. I'm so not there. Um, but I would like to get ready. So like, I love knowing that there are some things that I can do around that. Um, okay. Finally, I thank you. I have to say, thank you so, so much for doing this interview. And I feel like we've covered a lot. Um, I kind of just want to end this off on, you know, you're, if, if, for anybody who's like in it right now, (laughs) you know, who's like really experiencing birth trauma and struggling, like what would be your, your message for them? That you're never as alone as you think that you are. Um, trauma is such an isolating experience and that's actually what keeps us stuck in it. And so I just need you to know that, that there's a community of people out there, like on pages like mine, there's other pages too, Facebook groups and, um, reach out, reach out, get help, connect with other people that just get it. Um, yeah, you're not alone. I love that. I actually, that's, it's funny that you say that because I have felt so much comfort looking at your posts and then reading the comments and seeing like what other people are saying. Like even when I did my um, initial, when I shared my birth story on here and I had so many people reaching out to me with their birth birth stories and that were also experiencing birth trauma, like it was really helpful to hear that, that exactly what you were saying. Like I'm not alone. A lot of other people experience this too. Um, so I am going to tell everybody right now who's listening, go and follow you on Instagram. Tell, pimp yourself out. Where can we get more from okay. you? So um, you can find me at the tea. So like the tea that you drink, the tea on birth trauma. You can also find me at my website, which is www the tea on birthtrauma.com. Those would be the two most common places that you can find me at this point. Uh, my podcast um, is set to launch later on this year. So maybe stay tuned for that too. <laughs> Yay. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast world. I love it. When it does launch, let me know. I will post it um, and share that out so with my there. audience. Of well, and I'll have to have you on maybe to even talk about your own experience if you'd like to. <laughs> I would love that. I would absolutely love that. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. And um, guys, thanks for bumping along with us. See you next week.